I have with me today a, a gentleman that, that I had heard about uh, for a long time, and then I got to meet him at a police training conference. And uh, what he does is so extraordinary for this profession that I wanted you all to meet him. He is an attorney. Uh, he's a supporter of law enforcement. He's a big supporter of the rule of law and fighting that false narrative that somehow it's American law enforcement that is causing all the crime and chaos uh, in our country today. Uh, Imran Ali, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Betsy. I appreciate it. So I, I first got to hear you speak at a, a conference my husband and I were training at. And uh, and and you, you know, you're from uh, Minnesota. You can talk about that. And uh, uh, you were a, a prosecutor who really loved doing your job and just wanted what was right for your community, right? Yeah, I mean, I've uh, uh, been a prosecutor for years, loved my job, uh, loved serving the community, loved helping victims of crime, uh, and really looking forward to, uh, in 2022, running actually for our elected uh, DA position in the county. It's uh, even though I didn't want to do it, you know, my boss at the time said, you know, you'd be a really good leader. Uh, and so I was flattered and excited at the same time to kind of continue my public service uh, as way of an elected county attorney. Uh, and so I was looking forward to that. Now, as a prosecutor, you work closely with law enforcement, don't you? I do. You know, as a prosecutor, I was uh, I started my career working really with uh, our undercover narcotics uh, as the, the director of our undercover uh, uh, narcotics task force and then went into working as the director of our human trafficking task force for the last seven years. Uh, we not only did we work together, we actually were uh, housed together. Uh, and so that way we had an ability for the officers to get firsthand information and firsthand uh, clarification on the law. And as a prosecutor, I was able to get really firsthand information about what was going on, what was needed, and whether or not uh, my assistance through warrants or complaints uh, could be utilized. So it was a it was a very neat uh, system that we had set up in Minnesota. So uh, something happened involving a police officer that sent you on a different uh, trajectory. Talk about that. Yeah, um, I feel like it was yesterday, but uh, April of uh, 2021, uh, as the prosecutor, uh, I was assigned the uh, Kim Potter prosecution. And for your viewers, just to give uh, them uh, uh, a little bit uh, background, this was an officer in the city of Brooklyn Center uh, that uh, uh, there was a traffic stop. She meant to use her taser, but instead used her firearm. Uh, Dante Wright was killed. Uh, and as a result uh, thereafter, uh, there was a subsequent prosecution I was assigned uh, to prosecute that case. Uh, like any other case, uh, I look at it uh, objectively, regardless of who is charged or who the suspect is. Uh, I want to look at the facts and the law. But I also wasn't naive to know that at the time that this happened, uh, the entire national, international media was galvanized uh, and organized in Minneapolis because it was the trial of Derek Chauvin. Uh, so uh, the timing I knew was going to lead to you know, definitely some issues. Uh, but what uh, followed thereafter uh, is something that I I um, even couldn't have dreamed of happening. Now, you know, Kim Potter, uh, police officer with Brooklyn Center, uh, Minnesota, you know, she did 
make a terrible life altering mistake. She, and this is something that has happened about 20 times in uh, recent history over the last few years, um, where she, uh, she grabbed her taser or her firearm instead of her taser. Deontay Wright was a felon. He was wanted on a gun charge. He um, he uh, was not an uh, you know an innocent player, if you will. He is had put uh, several people in the hospital. Um, but she did make a terrible mistake. Police officers make mistakes. So as a prosecutor. What was your intent in charging her with a crime? Because that needed to happen, didn't it? It did. I mean, and again, some of your viewers are going to disagree. Uh, and uh, as I train all around the country, you know, I say that, that some people are going to disagree. But when I look at it, um, I believed it to be not intentional. I believed it to be a mistake. Uh, remember, at the time that this happened, there were only a very small select people that had viewed the body worn camera. Now, likely all of your viewers, and I know you have as well, and you saw Kim's reaction afterwards. It was a mistake. This was not intentional. And so then I looked at the policies and procedures within the department. And what I found was that there were policies and procedures that were adopted that the intent of the department wasn't to have it be such. It was just, uh, you know, a uniform policy that was put into place, but that policy prohibited Officer Potter from even firing a incapacitation device or a taser in a vehicle. And so when I look at all that information, I believe in my heart that a crime was committed. I believe that it was manslaughter in the second degree. Um, and I also believe like I would on any other case that I've charged with manslaughter, that these are mistakes and that then and the person behind that mistake should be given probation. Uh, and again, that's what I do on everybody else just because Officer Potter is in law enforcement and just because we were on the, uh, you know, in the in the midst of an international trial sensation of Derek Chauvin, that didn't that didn't detract my, you know, my thinking. Uh, I was going to stand up for what I believe in and how I treat everybody the same way. And unfortunately, I never got to see that play out because I just walked away. Um, you know, I can talk about what what I witnessed firsthand, but I can tell the viewers this that everything that you read about or everything you see involving anything post 2020 and these riots and the mob uh, and the intimidation that has happened to elected officials, to DAs, to witnesses, to judges, to juries, uh, to law enforcement officers, uh, until you are in it and until your life is threatened, until your family's life is threatened, until protesters are outside of your home. Uh, which luckily I didn't experience, but I did experience um, the threat of them coming there and evacuating my house within 10 minutes. Until you've experienced all of that and the vile nature of these individuals that are completely misguided uh, in the truth, um, I don't think anybody understands really how difficult that is um, to deal with. And I know I could carry that burden on my shoulders, but what I wanted was somebody from the outside, somebody that was a leader in our state, somebody that could speak up and say, I've known this prosecutor, this is a good prosecutor, he's experienced, um, and all I found was silence. And that silence for me spoke volumes because those people um, that should have been talking weren't talking, and as a result of it, um, it led in me just walking away and quitting. And I can, you know, if you're interested, I can give you, um, 
a conversation I had with um, attorney Ben Crump, uh, which is kind of the reason, the one reason I would say I walked away. And um, I had a conversation with him and I went and talked to my boss at the time. His name is Peter Orbit, like probably my best friend, my mentor. Um, definitely the reason I was in Washington County. And uh, I know he'd been dealing with the protests at his house every day and it's war on him then. And this is a guy who was elected as a DA in Washington County, which is outside of St. Paul. And he instantly brought in um, things like African-American mentor leadership, where we would take children uh, that were in high school from all around the city and we'd bring them in and get them interested and excited about a career in law enforcement and prosecution. That was his passion and that's what he did. Um, he was infectious like that. And when I went to his house, um, I saw a different Pete. And the reason I saw a different Pete is because he was repeatedly called a racist. And that word hurt him so much. Uh, and I see that word being used a lot every day. And I'm a person of color and I've encountered racism, um, no doubt about that. But when the term racist is now thrown around by especially those uh, on the woke side, um, the difficulty now is that it's lost its meaning now. That, that's a strong, strong word. And when everybody's a racist now, um, there's no longer the power that's behind that word anymore. It's been lost. So you met with Benjamin Crump. I want to remind people who that is. He is, a, he is the young Al Sharpton, if you will. Um, he's an attorney. He's gotten involved in cases everywhere from Michael Brown to George Floyd to, uh, you know, uh, other infamous police shooting cases. Um, he's now involved in the, I think he's involved in the Tyree Nichols case. Um, but he, he is, his speech is salacious in nature and very often he doesn't speak the truth. And, uh, uh, he, he helps perpetuate that false nature that American law enforcement is, uh, somehow the problem nationwide. And you had a conversation with him about the Kim Potter case. I did. My initial conversation with him was uh, very pleasant. Um, he, he indicated to me that we did the right thing and we charged Officer Potter with the only crime available. Now, mind you, this isn't just an attorney coming in. This is somebody that had already advised George Floyd's family. So they're familiar with Minnesota law. And so I left that meeting, you know, 24 hours after the death of Dante Wright. I left that meeting feeling you know, okay, maybe I can try to convince the civil attorney in this case that this case is so much different than any other case. Uh, and what I ended up finding out was that within 24 hours after we had that meeting, um, now there was stuff that was said in the media and said to perpetuate misinformation and using words like intentional. And so when I had a conversation after seeing, you know, Pete have that visceral reaction to being called a racist, I called them. And I said, look, sir, you know, I have a great deal amount of respect for you, but understand that when you say words, they matter. And there are people in the community that are going to believe what you say. And if you say that you watched a body worn camera and you believe this to be intentional, there are people that are going to believe that. And please stop with that rhetoric, because Betsy, I truly believed at that point that something bad was going to happen. I believe that either a protester was going to harm Pete protester was going to harm me or my family. Um, a protester, maybe one of Pete's neighbors or my neighbors 
were going to get fed up with all of the attention and maybe they were going to harm a protester. I just knew that tensions were really high. And my intention of calling Mr. Crump was to say, let's come on, stop. And I was met with resistance because my job as a prosecutor is to seek justice in the courtroom and his job is to seek justice in the streets. And for me, that was all too much for me to go forward to be a prosecutor anymore. And so truly, when I say I walked away, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a plan. I just knew that even though my, our children wouldn't know, even though they're too young and they wouldn't realize the decision I, ha I had to make. But I knew that if I'm teaching my six-year-old at the time about right versus wrong and integrity, and if 10 years, 20 years, and let's say she never knew about anything that happened with this case, it would eat me up alive knowing that I didn't do what I needed to do at that time. So I walked away. Well, so you walked away from that job, but you you began a whole entire new passion. And I, I want to talk about that. Um, and let's start with uh, your dealings with the media, because, again, one of the things that you're trying to do out there um, is fight that that false narrative. And, and you know, we, we do that at the National Police Association, um, but the, you don't see a whole lot of um, media wanting to talk about the truth when it comes to law enforcement use of force. Talk about that. Yeah, um, I saw it firsthand um, with the Derek Chauvin case, because regardless of what anybody thinks about Derek Chauvin and George Floyd, take away all of that. In the middle of jury selection, all of us witnessed a elected city council announce a record-breaking lawsuit and a settlement. And there is no way anybody can convince me that that wasn't an attempt to sway a jury. There's just no way anybody else can convince me as a lawyer, knowing how long those civil cases take. And I'm watching that be covered by the media. And I'm shocked that that's covered by the media while we are in the middle of jury selection in a televised, um, sensationalized way. But what I've started to do uh, is... I, the last you know, 18 months, I've started archiving headlines from not only here locally with all of the affiliates, the ABCs, the NBCs, Fox, um, and, but also our local papers, our national papers. And my point of doing that is to show that a headline is written by an editor intended to divide our country. Uh, and I can give you countless examples of over a headlining that is so salacious um, that doesn't that does not take into account truly what happened. I'll give you a couple of examples. Just I mean, this is just this is stuff that I am seeing every day. In Minnesota, we had a case in which there was uh, somebody that was charged with homicide that was on a warrant. Law enforcement got an uh, got eyes on him. We see him exit a gas station. He ends up uh, fleeing when they try to do a traffic stop, which, you know, of course, now everybody flees because there's no incentive to pull over. So he takes off, he flees, he runs through a stop sign and kills a young girl and crashes into a vehicle. There are four people in the vehicle and kills one, uh, a, a young girl. Uh, I believe she was seven years old. And when the police pulled him out of the wreckage of his car, of course, he's fine. Um, he never said anything about 
um, is she okay or is anybody okay? He's, his first response was something along the lines of, um, why, why were you guys chasing me? You weren't supposed to. Um, and if you look at the headlines, the headlines were drastically different. Um, and when you look at one particular headline um, that was shared everywhere and was picked up by the AP was that um, police pursuit ends in death of seven-year-old girl. Is that truly justice to what happened? I don't believe so. I truly don't believe so. That looks as if law enforcement was acting outside of the scope of their duties and that their police chase, rec police chase recklessly caused the death of another. When we know we have a murderer that's on the streets, we have to protect, we have to get this person into custody. They have at least probable cause that a murder has been committed. And this individual shows disrespect for law enforcement and authority, flees, kills another individual, and yet our media blames it on the police. One example, Betsy, of thousands and thousands of media headlines that I have seen that do not accurately depict uh, what has happened. And as a result, what I believe when I go and do my trainings, I don't think we're a divided country. I truly don't. I think it's those media companies that are using headlines to create that division, a division that simply isn't there. We have differences. We are divided in the sense of, you know, there are people that are on one side or on the aisle or the other, but it's not this big division that all of the national media syndicates would like us to believe. It's not that way. We have communities that support law enforcement, that love law enforcement, that understand that they are in a difficult, uh, dynamic situation every day. Uh, and we have people out there that want to see police do better. And so do I, so do you, and so do your viewers. Um, unfortunately, the media, uh, especially in our country, has really shaped this division and has put fuel on a fire that, quite frankly, didn't need the fuel. Yeah, no, and that you're, that's so well-spoken because that's something that uh, at the National Police Association, I mean, we fight every single day is to educate Americans um, partially through the media. Of course, we have website and social media and things like that and uh, and and speaking engagements. And that's one of the things you're doing is, is you're fighting this. We have about three minutes left. You're fighting this through policy training information. Talk about that. Tell people what you're doing now. Yeah, I, um, you know, I didn't have a job and then got picked up by a law firm and they said, so you talk about my letter got leaked to the media. So everybody knows what do you want to do? And I said, honestly, my if I could pick a job. I would do something where I can give back to the community. I've been a public servant at heart. My father worked for the federal government. I have lots of nieces, nephews, uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters that have served uh, in the military. And so I've, I've always been a public servant at heart. And what I want to do is I want to give back. And what I want to truly the message that I want to give law enforcement is a message of hope um, that don't be discouraged. We need you still. Um, the other message is that we can do better. Uh, don't listen to the media and don't listen to the people saying that you have to be perfect. We can be better collectively, just like they can be better. But unfortunately, everybody has their fingers pointed at police because everything is to be blamed on police. But if police do something good, nobody gives them the credit. Uh, that's deserved. And so that resilience piece is so important when we're dealing with recruitment and retention. And also getting back to true training. 
So use of force. I train all around the country in use of force. I've trained over 10,000 sworn just last year. And I can tell you that from Indiana to Washington, to California, to Minnesota, uh, to the East Coast, I, I hear from law enforcement that have attended my training and say that I have never heard use of deadly force trained from that way from anybody else. And my reasoning for doing that is that I want to protect, not only inform them about making those sorts of split second decisions, but also to protect them that if they are involved in a DA that is a, um, a uh, or, or an AG that is a renegade or an activist DA or uh, AG, that they're also now have the protection of my training, where if they want to subpoena me, go right ahead. Because I'll talk about the facts. I'll talk about the law with no politics. Absolutely. Where can people find out more about you, your training, your appearances? Tell people how they can find you. Well, I'm at Eckberg Glamours. I'm at a law firm in Minnesota. Um, you can find me on our website. It's uh, L-E-T-A-C usa.com uh so it's leetac.leetacusa.com there you'll find more about myself more about the team of people that we have we have former prosecutors former law enforcement uh former criminal analysts uh we have a good group of people that we're assembling here uh you can find out about our trainings we have several conferences we have a human trafficking conference coming up in las vegas we also have our first ever use of force symposium that's going to be in scottsdale arizona the second week of May. That is fantastic. I cannot thank you enough for taking time out today to spend some time with us. If you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Ma'am, put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.